Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. Yesterday we had the opportunity to read Parsha's Va'era, a Parsha that recounts the first seven of the ten Makos that were afflicted upon Paro and the ancient Egyptians in an effort to coerce them to finally agree to allow B'nai Israel to be liberated and to free them from the bondage, from the suffering, from the back-breaking labor that they were subjected to in ancient Egypt. The last of the first seven makos that we read about yesterday in Parshas Ve'eru is the mak of Barad, which we translated as hail, but this was not typical hail, as we know. Miraculously, there was ice and fire contained within each and every unit, each and every hailstone, and this brought tremendous damage and suffering and destruction to ancient Egypt. And as we had seen again and again, it reaches a point where the Mitzrim and Paro beg Moshe Rabbeinu to please pray to God, intercede on their behalf, to bring this to an end. And as we read yesterday, Vayetzi Moshe mi'im paro esoir, that Moshe goes ahead and he exits paro in the city, Vayifros kapov el Hashem, and he stretches his hands out to God, Vayachdelu hakolos, the thunder that had been accompanying the hail came to an end, it ceased, Vahabarad umatar, and the hail and the rain, lonitach artsa, it did not come down to the earth. And Rashi over there points out, what does it mean, lo nitach? It means, lo higia, says Rashi. Af osan lo So those hailstones that were mid-flight, that were flying on their way to the surface of the earth, they stopped, and they did not ultimately reach the ground. So what seems to be described over here is something that is incredibly miraculous, and that is not only did it, as we would say, stop raining, that Moshe's tefillah was so effective in that moment that it caused the bara to, to just stop right there mid-flight, and miracle within miracles, it didn't even complete its journey, so to speak, to the earth. Now the Medrash over here, which is not cited by Rashi, tells us something that is really extraordinary. And that is the Medrash says that even though these hailstones did not make their way to earth at this point in time, nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sort of suspended them mid-flight, and they remained in that place until a later time in history. Says the Medrash, Tal Anbirifyon, which means it's almost like they were suspended, waiting. The Yardu continues the Medrash. Well, when did these hailstones ultimately fall? Bimei Yehoshua. The Medrash tells us in the days of Yehoshua, where, as the Pasuk in Yehoshua tells us, that the Pasuk over there tells us, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu afflicted in that situation, not the Egyptians, but the Amorim with these hailstones, it was those very stones that borrowed in Mitzrayim that had been suspended, later it would fall. The Medrash continues to say that the remainder would ultimately fall, be made Gog Magog, in the days of the war of Gog Magog. And Rabbi Nebachia adds over here that even the kolos, even the thunderous sounds that accompanied the Barad, they would also reappear later in history, in the days of Elisha, as the Pasuk says, So what we find over here is something that is truly extraordinary. Chazal are telling us that the hail that would appear later in history, that the thunder that would make its mark later in history, this was not hail and thunder that had been generated from anew. No. This is the Barad, and these are the Kolos that existed already in Mitzrayim, and when Moshe interceded and asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu to sort of call off that Makkah, they waited. They waited many, many years, in some cases centuries, before they would once again be used. And of course the question is why. 
Because as we could all appreciate, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has many tools in his arsenal. And it is not in any way whatsoever difficult, if you will, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to go ahead and to produce new hailstones. So why is it that the Barad and Mitzrayim need to be preserved for so many years? Why is it that the Kolos that were generated at that time in history, rather than just sort of be eliminated, called off, and, and recycled, if you will, or reproduced from start years later? No, no, no. HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to take those very same entities that were created at that time and to use them and to apply them in the future. And why is that? So many of the commentaries who reflect upon this Medrash say basically the same idea. And that is that the Barad that appeared in Mitzrayim, the Kolos that were generated at this time, were generated through the tears and the Tfilos of Klai Yisrael. We spoke last week about the very, very unique prayers that were generated in Mitzrayim. The Tzaka, the Na'aka, the Shava, the prayers that were coming from a place of complete dependency and desperation, tears that were generated from a place of real, genuine honesty. It was these prayers that produced the weaponry, if you will, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will ultimately use in order to defeat Mitzrayim. And so therefore we can understand and appreciate how these precious prayers could not be wasted. If a prayer produces something which is powerful, if a prayer which is expressed by a Jew at a time of suffering is something that reaches the Kisei HaKavod, and it's something that makes its mark, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to just go ahead and discard that. A prayer of this nature is not something that is just going to be thrown to the wayside. It's not as if those who receive these prayers on Shemayim are going to look at it and say, well, listen, thank you very much. This was really an amazing tefillah, but we don't really need it now. Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to throw this out, and we'll let you know if we need something else again in the future. That's not the way it works. A prayer of that sort makes its way to the heavens, and it is going to be used. It'll be used now, or it will be used at some point in the future. This idea is something which I'm sure is familiar to many of those who are listening right now, an idea that we have heard about many times, and that is that every tefillah ultimately has its place. We know, and we had discussed this at length several months ago, that it is a mistake to think of tefillah as being exclusively transactional, that we go ahead and we use our sitter if you will, as a gumball machine that we put in a few cents and we turn the lever and then out comes what it is that we are looking for. We wish and we hope and we want so much for prayer to work in that way. And maybe to a certain extent, in certain circumstances, at times it does. But most often we don't have that satisfaction. We don't have that appreciation. We don't see the immediate effects of our prayers. And for somebody who is truly davening for something or for some things that are very, very important to him or her, over the course of many days, weeks, months, and in some cases years, and does not see the results, so there can be tremendous frustration. What is the point? Where are my prayers going? They are completely, as it were, they are sort of lost. And what we see from Chazal is that that's not so. The Barad, the Kolos that were generated in Mitzrayim, they produced something that was really very consequential. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took their prayers, and they were converted, they were transformed into results. And then it turns out that they were not needed yet. This was not the time in history in which these tefillos would ultimately be most effective. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, so I'm going to hold them. As Chazal Selas tell us, tol un. they were suspended. They were not eliminated. They were not destroyed. They were not recycled. They were just suspended for a time that we would make better use of them. You know, there is somebody that I know who's, who's an extraordinary individual. I'd rather not go into too much detail. 
but somebody who is, by all standards, recognized and seen by many, many others as being a very, very special human being, somebody who's very caring, somebody who's very sensitive. And uh, at one point, uh, this individual's father uh, said to me, you know, you may be wondering, why is it that my daughter is so special? Where does she get her incredible Midos Tovos? Where do they come from? How could it be that she's so special? And he said to me, I'll tell you what I think. He said that my wife and I waited 10 years to have this child, that uh, she has an older brother who's 10 years older than her, but um, we had to wait 10 years to have another child. And I cannot tell you how many tefillos, how many prayers were uttered again and again and again, not only by myself and my wife, but probably many, many others who were davening that we should have another child. And it took 10 years. But the conclusion of those 10 years, the product of those tefillos is something that was extraordinary. This was not, you'll forgive me, just any child. Of course, every child is a miracle. But this was an individual who had been produced by countless prayers and by tears that were so genuine, they did make their mark. They did make their way to the Kisya Kavod. They were, so to speak, received. But they were held. They were suspended. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu waited for the moment that was right for him, not necessarily the moment that was right and desired by us, and when that moment came, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes ahead and he takes the product of those prayers, we see, we see before our own eyes, what a difference that makes. You know, in conclusion, I'll mention that in this coming week's Pasha, Pasha's bow, we are introduced to the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. Some may recall that Rashi back in the very, very beginning of Chumash tells us, in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak and the Medrash, that the Torah could have really started in Pasha's bow. Because Parsha's bow is the Parsha which we are introduced to the mitzvahs given to the Jewish people. And to the extent that the Torah is a constitution of laws, it really doesn't begin until Parsha's bow. Of course, there's a reason why we needed all of Sefer Bereshis in the beginning of Sefer Shemos. You have to take a look at Rashi, what he tells us. But really, on a certain level, the Torah begins in this week's Parsha, Parsha's bow. And what is the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people? It's the mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, of sanctifying the new month, the new moon. A lot could be said about this, and I'll just make one point right now, and that is that Many point out, and this is actually alluded to in the bracha that we recite when we say Kiddush Levana, that B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people, are compared to the Levana. That we actually calculate time based on the lunar cycle. It's really a combination between the lunar and the solar cycle, but as we know, we pay close attention to the lunar cycle. That's how we would determine when Rosh Chodesh is, etc. And as such, there's a very deep connection that is drawn between the moon and the B'nai Yisrael. And much has been said about why this is so. What is the connection on a deeper level between the moon and the Jewish people? But I want to share with you a thought from Rav Sternbach. In the Sefer Tam Vedas, Rav Sternbach says, you know why the Jewish people are compared to the moon? Because unlike the sun, the moon does not receive its light from itself. The moon is really a reflection of the light of the sun. And so therefore, when we look at the moon on a clear light, and we see an incredible radiant glow, the, the, the light from the moon can sometimes be so strong that it can cast a shadow down here on earth. But yet that's not really what's happening. We are not looking at a celestial body that is generating its own light. It's merely reflecting light from another place. In other words, says Rav Sternbach, things in this world are not always how they appear. We look at something and we think we understand what's happening, but actually we are looking at something entirely different. Perhaps the other nations, they look at the sun and they say, you see what you get. The sun is a source of light. There's a certain clarity, if you will, in understanding. This is how the universe works. We look at the moon 
and we understand that things are not always the way they seem. We are looking at the moon, and we are seeing something that appears to be generating its own light, but it's really a reflection of something that is coming from somewhere else. And says, that is a metaphor for Olam Hazeh. So many things in this world appear one way, but really what's happening is something very, very different. And I think that that is very relevant to this conversation, because we have to understand and appreciate that when we dive in, and we feel as if our tefillos are perhaps getting lost, maybe there was something wrong with the connection, it's just landing in the wrong place, maybe I didn't put in the right address, we have to understand and appreciate that that's not so. That our tefillos, especially our tefillos that are generated from a place of genuine sincerity, they are going to their desired place. We have to assume and believe that they have been delivered. And if we don't see the results that we are looking for, it could very well be because now is not the time. It could very well be that they are achieving results, but they are not necessarily expressing themselves. These results are not manifest in the way that we would have necessarily wanted or desired, or perhaps even if it is the way we want and desire, but not necessarily are we attuned to see what is really happening before our eyes. So there is a tremendous amount of amuna faith that we have to have not only in our prayers, but the process of prayer and to understand and to appreciate that when we dive in, we have to believe that our tefillos matter. They go somewhere. And if now is not the time and now is not the place, as we saw in Mitzrayim, Rakadish Baruch Hu says, thank you very much. I don't need these prayers right now, but there will be a time in the future that I will come back to them and I will use them. May we all be inspired every time we dive in to understand and appreciate that a tefillah that is generated from a place of genuine sincerity, that a tefillah that is coming from a place within my heart, a true and sincere avodah believe, this is a tefillah that will make its mark. This is a tefillah that will make its way to the Kisya Kavod and Be'ezra Hashem produce results, if not now, at some time later in the future. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.